who our next guest is depends upon your birthday. If that happened about five decades ago, then you likely know Phil Proctor as one-fourth of the Firesign Theater, that comedy troupe whose efforts on vinyl were favorites in dormitories and on radio stations across America, especially college stations like this one. If you've uh, forgotten about them or, or never heard them, here's a sample. See that bear lapping up that good old country water? Sure makes a big hairy guy like me thirsty. That's when I wrap my lips around that tall, sweaty, edible bottle of good old country bear whiz beer. As my daddy said, son, it's in the water. That's why it's yellow. <laughs> bear whiz beer. Bear whiz beer, liquid product of Andrew Bearwood's Brewery, Animal, Missouri. Hiya, friends. Ralph Sportsport. Ralph Sportsport Motors, the world's largest new used and used automobile dealership. Ralph Sportsport Motors here in the city of Emphysema. Let's just look at the extras on this fabulous car. Wire wheel, spoke fenders, two-way sneeze through, wind vents, star sun, mudguard, sponge coated, edible steering column, chrome fender dents, and factory air conditioned air from our fully factory equipped air conditioned factory. Having spent time with Firesign Theater and the turntables at Webster Emerson Hall, I think of Phil Proctor as Porgy Tirebiter, Rocky Rococo, and Mark Times' Rocky Jocket sidekick Bob Bunny. But if your birthday was in the last three decades, you more likely know him as the voice of Howard on Rugrats, which has earned him a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Phil Proctor's also been Seahorse Bob in Finding Nemo, Charlie in Monsters, Inc., and uh, a vaguely familiar face on many commercials. Also frequently, a serious stage actor and singer. Today he's here to talk with us about, here at KDVS, about his career in comedy and all that other stuff. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Phil Proctor. Well, now, who is that guy you're talking about there? There's a couple of, uh, of uh, um, corrections I have to make. Uh-oh. Okay, which is, which is what happens when you do audio voices. Porgy Tirebiter is played by Peter Bergman, my partner for some 45 years. We went to Yale together. It was actually through Peter that I became uh, part of the Firesign Theater, and uh, we had, we our collaboration went back to college. We were at Yale together, and we worked on musicals. He wrote the lyrics for several musicals that I starred in. The class of '62 at Yale, we had Sam Waterston was in our class, and uh, but in any event, uh, yeah, I did not do Porgy, and also I am the voice of Big Brother, uh, the uh, reality television show, summer television show on CBS, and I'll be doing that again this year. That's another thing that most people don't don't recognize. Previously on Big Brother Six, so you know the fun of, of being able to do a lot of voices is that uh, you get to do a lot of, of different work uh, anonymously. And the downside is that uh, when you go in to get a good seat in a restaurant, nobody gives a damn. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's the way it goes. Well, the way you guys work your voices, it is it is easy to mix you up sometimes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. My wife just just pointed out to me that. that is Porgy played by David Osman? Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's Peter Bergman who says Peter is mudhead. I'm totally off the hook. If you're confusing who you are, see that's what happens when you uh, <laughs> when you when you work in voiceover. Okay, so so Porgy Tirebiter is David Osman. Oh, gee, Porge. Oh, that's right. And I tell you, it's it's pitiful. And I, it, it's not old age. It's just plain. It's 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 because we've done so much stuff over such a long period of time. Uh, it begins to take on a life of its own, and we disassociate from the work that we've done. The other thing about the Firesign Theater, for those of you who don't know us, and for those of you who might want to know more about how we do it, it is, it's a four-man troupe that basically does all the writing, producing, music, direction, sound effects, voices, 
casting if we need other voices. Uh, we do everything within the four-man group. We it's like it's like a little studio, and when we all write together. Uh, we have we we call ourselves the four or five crazy guys because the combination of the writing, which is ultimately what what gets on the the uh, recordings, is is a mixture of so many so much input from all of us that we actually often lose uh, a sight of where the initial uh, idea may have come from. Do you know what I mean? Yes, there are certain solo pieces. Hi, friends, Ralph Spallsport. That's a, that's a character I brought to the Fireside Theater, and uh, Phil Austin brought uh, uh, Nick Danger's voice alive and does a lot of the writing for that character. Uh, but for the most part, if there's anywhere where a joke can be punched up or a line can be cleared up or, or, or something else, there's another level that somebody hears in something that we've written, that's added in. I remember remember hearing a talk from I guess it was Denny of the um, of the Mamas and the Papas about how when they got together there uh -huh. was this this thing would show up in the recording studio when they were all when they were all in sync together right someone else was in the room with them yeah well Mama Cass was a dear friend of ours and we used to hang out with her in in the uh, 60s when we were recording when we were making our recordings uh, at CBS, at Columbia Records, we were working out of the studios in Hollywood where they used to broadcast live radio shows, like uh, Bob Hope and, uh, uh, gosh, who else? Bing Crosby Jack and Jack Benny. And so we were working in those original studios, and we also were, were rubbing uh, shoulders with, you know, Bob Dylan and uh, uh, the Rolling Stones, and I mean, you just name it. We, we knew these people, and we all hung out together. And that was because it was much more of a, of a community. It was, it was truly a communal kind of artistic and bohemian explosion that was happening then. It was a great, great, great time to be uh, creative. And we, we both influenced and were influenced by the people that were uh, our contemporaries, not to mention uh, the Beatles, whom we always were inspired by and uh, we had a, a chance to meet. I love a quote also, if I could take from the, from the, from the liner in your CD from your, from your friend, uh, uh, Mr. Bergman, that uh, when he saw the Beatles in, in the UK in, in 65, he said, uh, you know, right away he made a vow that someday he'd have a four-man comedy group, although yeah. we wouldn't dress alike, which of course would make us more like the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's true. Peter, Peter really did have a vision of a, a comedy Beatles. It was pretty amazing. It all happened on KPFK Radio, which is, you know, a free-form, listener-supported FM radio station. And uh, Bergman was doing this show called Radio Free Oz, which was a, a late-night talk show. I mean, it was very revolutionary on lots of levels. And uh, he'd take calls all night long. And, and uh, Dave Osman and, and Phil Austin were working at the station. how I actually met Bergman I, when I was involved in a, a youth protest was uh, now known as the Sunset Strip Riots. Uh, I, was, I was hanging out at that time with Peter Fonda and Brandon DeWilda. Peter was doing research for a little movie that he later made called uh, Easy Rider. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that particular night, uh, we, we were sitting down to protest the fact there was a curfew that had been put on, on youth because we were protesting the Vietnam right. War. <laughs> Man, how times have changed. See? I don't see any, any young people on the street uh, yelling about Iraq right now, but hey, get your asses out there. We do what we can to stir, stir the pot on that one. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I just wish it were more recognized. Well, KDVS is one of the, one of the last free-form, uh, I think, uh, stations in, in the country. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. Very glad to hear it, Doug, and I hope you'll keep me apprised of what you guys are up to there. So anyway, I sat on a, a picture of Peter Bergman. Geez, that's Peter Bergman. I went to school with him. So I called him, and that's how I became involved with uh, what 
uh, ultimately became the fire scientist. Did you show up at KPFK and say, uh, say, say, Peter, uh, how you doing? Uh, can you put me to work? And he said, come on down and let's play. Because we had, you know, we'd, we'd done improvisation in, uh, at Yale before and worked together for years. You guys got together, started doing some, some radio skits, and that soon went into what became your first album. Uh, okay, Waiting for the Electrician or Someone Like Him. We're still waiting. He's coming around, folks. He's going to be okay and ready to play Symptom 6 of Beat the Reaper. Last week, our patient successfully survived the common cold, measles, pneumonia, dengue fever, and the yaws. And now, the big question. Are you ready to go on? Why? He's ready! Our topless nurse, Judy, is wheeling our patient into the isolation ward. Can you hear me in there? Okay. Let's shoot him up. Now, patient, you have ten seconds to tell us what you've got and beat the Reaper! I, I, I'm shaking feverish. I, my, hand, my hands are all... Yellow, my, my God, I've got John. John, this it is. Give it Beat the Reaper. Well, beat the Reaper. Um, I hope that uh, that your generation does not have to suffer through a draft, uh, which is what that's all about. Right. And, uh, uh, and of course, uh, uh, beat the Reaper. Also, uh, interestingly enough, was. Uh, one of uh, is one of um, Rush Limbaugh's favorite pieces by the Firesign Theater. Really? Talk about strange bedfellows. Wow. I turned on Rush Limbaugh, which I do for research and development when I can stand it. I understand. And he was, he performed his remembrance of Beat the Reaper. And he had pointed out an editorial in the... Uh, in the uh, uh, Financial Times, what's it called, Wall Street Journal, uh, about the failure of the national health system in the Netherlands. And in the Netherlands at that time, they were apparently doing a television show in which a panel of doctors would apprise the uh, medical situation of various patients and decide which one of them would be able to have an elective procedure, a procedure. Uh, under the National Health Program. Well, I have it, to admit, that that does sound a bit like Beat the Reaper. <laughs> another predictive coup for the Firesign Theater. <laughs> Waiting for the Electrician or Someone Like Him, the album upon which this is based, which you can get online at laugh.com. There's uh, Waiting for the Electrician. The, the title of the album comes from the fact that it's a story of an Eastern European country under the domination of a dictatorial uh, uh, system such as communism that becomes that is going through a revolution. Who was the electrician who first kicked off the major revolution in the communist bloc? Lequilenza. What was his job? He was an electrician he... at a shipyard. You got it. You got it. Now, we didn't know when we wrote Waiting for the Electrician or someone like it that that's what we meant. Wow. You know, I, I, want, I want to plug your second album, too, because it's cover. For my money, the two great album covers, uh, I think, in history are uh -huh. Super Tramp, Crisis, What yeah. Crisis. Oh, yeah. And yours, and how can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all, where you've got uh, an imitation of Red Square with all you guys out there like they did on the review, reviewing stand yep. on, on May Day, under banners of Marx and Lenin, Groucho Marx, John Lennon. That's right. You, that, was, that was my idea. 
because I had been to the Soviet Union with the Yale Russian Chorus. You were actually a Russian major before you changed to drama, weren't you? I was a Russian major, now I'm private citizen of America. <laughs> what a country! Yes, that's right. Uh, that album cover was shot in front of an unfinished Armenian church on Wilshire Boulevard in downtown Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, which is now still standing. It's a beautiful church. And the concept, we actually got the rights from bro both Groucho, who was at that time uh, uh, doing lectures, yeah. <clears throat> pardon me, going out and doing lectures, and I got to meet him and, and uh, spend some time with him. And he's, he was a dear, fast-thinking, wonderful, funny man. And uh, John Lennon, whom we had run into, uh, he gave us the rights to his image. Well, let's play a cut from, from your classic, How Can You Be in Two Places at Once When You're Not Anywhere at All. Okay. Hey, you guys. Just at the age when you're looking for an interesting and exciting career in the military, get into the sky where they can't find you. Higher than you've ever been before, behind the border, as a proud member of the free Mexican Air Force. Yes, skimming low out of border canyons and across below sea level salt flats, you'll be jockeying the big birds, B-25s, flying uncounted tons of contraband into these United States. Yes, spreading Mexico's natural resources is a really fine job for any young man of military age. So take off with guys like me in the free Mexican Air Force. Oh, you see, now we're still talking about the borders and the Mexicans, at least uh, here in California. It's a major issue that Arnold is all upset about as well. He's trying to figure out whether we can enlist people to go and patrol the borders with nice brown uniforms, you know. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, my God, what a world we live in. About 1981, I was visiting my folks uh, in the Bay Area, home from medical school, and I Turned on late night television, and there's you, you guys. Medical school in, in what two weeks in Mexico? Remember, there's a line. <laughs> Bobby's uh, he's in, he's he's in medical school for two weeks in Mexico, Bob. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't. I don't, but. but but I'm watching. I I hear your guys' voices, unmistakable, yeah. dubbing some old movie serials, and I was yeah. I was in stitches, and I stayed to watch the credits carefully because I thought, I want to find out what this is. It was a movie you did called J-Man Forever. J-Man Forever, yeah. This, this it's available. It's available. You can, you can get it. Just Google for it, and you'll find. In fact, uh, I live in the Beverly Hills area. I'm, I'm talking to you outside uh, our house here in uh, Benedict Canyon. Okay. The guy who manufactures these and who releases them, his business is about five minutes away from me down in Beverly Hills. Well, Phil, I want a copy of this because I've been looking for it for 20-something years. It's one of the funniest damn things I have ever seen. Well, as I say, I, I will be happy to send you your own personal copy. You can read on the back where it is, but it's, it's like cult video, I think it's called. Okay. Cult, cult DVD, I believe it's called. But again, as I, I promise you, if you Google for it, uh, it will lead you uh, to, to the proper place. And, and I recommend it to everybody. Uh, it is a hoot, and I, I just met a guy last night. I'm doing a play right now. I'm doing Mother Courage. Yeah, Phil, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the serious stage work that you do. Uh, we, we ran into you at the event at the Museum of Television and Radio that was honoring Norman Corwin, a giant of radio who's still going strong at, at age 95. Can you tell us a bit about that event? Well, sure. And uh, I, I can tell you, first of all, that it was a, a magnificent event and, and very, very well received. And Norman, Norman Corwin's work, he, he was the poet laureate 
uh, and the Shakespeare, if you will, of the golden age of radio in the, uh, the 40s, primarily, predominantly. I'm a part of a theater company called the Antius Classical Theater Company. We're a very honored and top-notch uh, classical theater company here in North Hollywood. I decided to do a Norman Corwin piece for our Christmas show last year. And he has cast me and, I, and directed me in several of his own projects over the years. And I also worked with him in his project, in a project called Empire of the Air that David Osman did. Well, we became friends and acquaintances. Uh, when he came to see this, he was so inspired by the acting that he saw that he, he cast Melinda Peterson, my wife, who played Lucretia Borgia. thing we know, Norman calls us and says, they're doing this uh, 95th birthday celebration, and I want to illustrate it with uh, selections from some of my classic pieces. I want Melinda and you and John Acorn to be predominantly featured, along with Ed Asner and Elliot Reed. And we said, you bet. So there we were, being directed once again by the great master. What, and doing, what a thrill that must have been, to oh, have Norman Cohen directing you. I can't tell you, Doug, how thrilling it is, because he's so sharp, he's so gracious, and he's so knowledgeable. And he just gives you the, the proper hints and clues as to how to deliver the material, which is basically dramatic or comedic, but always poetical yeah. in its imagery. It's astoundingly poetical. But by the way, as an audience member, I want to say, you know, that was bravo. It was well done. Thank you. We were, we were very, very pleased with how well it came off. And afterwards, we had a terrific intimate dinner with Norman and people from the Annenberg School of uh, Communications and several uh, journalists that had studied with Norman and had gone on to have, uh, have, gone on to have very uh, wonderful careers. A uh, lot of careers, and it was it was the whole evening was absolutely wonderful. And Norman Lear was there, as you know, uh, and, and finished the evening by giving a great, great, great kudos to the to the fight, the the, the, the wonderful man. And I, I should I should plug too while we're mentioning that, that at that event I, I spoke to you and to, to Mr. Lear and to Mr. Corwin's representatives, and and uh, you're the first of all three that are supposed to come on our show, so we're very oh, excited. That's wonderful. Well, one thing I wanted to, to insert is the fact that, you know, here you are, the Farsight Theater tied to Jack Benny, tied to Norman Corwin. You're, you're really linked to That's the classic right. the classic early beginnings of radio up till the present. And then, yep. and how right you get it is something I don't think people appreciate. So I want to do a little comparison at this point between the old Johnny Dollar show oh, yeah, and what sure. you guys did. So let's do a little bit of that. Okay. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Lieutenant Van Tyle of the Cape Town Police, Mr. Dollar. Oh, yeah, Lieutenant. I've been trying to get you. Anything new on the Forbes murder? I'm afraid not. How about the diamond? It's still missing. Oh, so far we're betting zero. That was the program Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, which aired in the 1950s on old-time radio. Uh, I think Johnny Dollar was actually an insurance claims adjuster uh, slash detective. But... Uh, Let's hear how the Firesign Theater did a takeoff on that genre with their version of Nick Danger, Third Eye. Los Angeles, he walks again by night. Out of the fog, into the smog. Relentlessly, ruthlessly, I wonder where Ruth is. doggedly, toward his weekly meeting with the unknown. At 4th and Drucker, he turns left. At Drucker and 4th, he turns right. He crosses MacArthur Park and walks into a great sandstone building. Oh, my nose! Groping for the door, he steps inside. Climbs the 13 steps to his office. 
He walks in. He's ready for mystery. He's ready for excitement. He's ready for anything. He's... Nick Danger, third eye. Uh, I want to order a, a pizza to go and no anchovies. No anchovies? You've got the wrong man. I spell my name, Danger. What? The makers of fantastic cigarettes, long in the leaf and short in the can, bring you another true story from the tattered case book of Nick Danger, third eye. Let's join him now in the adventure we call... Cut him off at the past! Yes, indeed, yeah. You stupid fool, why did you play danger? He's an idiot. You have no taste. Don't listen. Put your fingers in your ears. I would have warned you if I knew it was going to happen. Shut up, Rocky. All right, Rocky Rococo, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, all right, so yes, of course. Nick Danger is the most accessible of the Firesign Theater projects. Yeah. In doing that, that show, we uh, tried to be as true as, as we could to the sound of old radio. Our guest today is one-fourth of the legendary Firesign Theater, Phil Proctor. We need to take a short break, but we'll be back to continue our speaking with Phil at his home in Los Angeles uh, after uh, these brief messages. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. The makers of Looseners, Castor Oil Flakes, and Fantastic Cigarettes. Looseners for the smile of beauty, Fantastics for the smile of success, have brought you the transcribed adventures of Nick Danger, Third Eye. Tune in again next week, same time, same station, when Nick Danger meets the Arab.